It's time for OWC Radio, Tech Talk with Creatives, Conversations with host Serena Catania. This is Serena Catania with OWC Radio. Stephen Reed of Worship Leader Magazine is here with me, and I am fascinated by what you do and who you do it for. So can you tell our listeners exactly what that is? And and then tell us about your recent trip. Sure. Um, so excited to be here. Uh, and thankful you guys are doing a podcast like this. <laughs> so my name is Stephen Reed and I'm with Worship Leader Magazine. I'm with several other people at different times. My wife and I and our family do uh, some music and travel and do consulting for churches. But then we also take all of that knowledge, all that experience that we've had over now decades of leading worship and being involved in churches and doing that consulting work and put that into uh, Worship Leader Magazine, which is an online resource that has um, just so many decades now. I mean, it's basically 30 years of magazines and conferences, and we host a podcast of our own that we do with different uh, worship and church influencers. And then we also get to go to different churches and preach and teach and uh, lead people in worship. So it's been an amazing journey, for sure. You're also an author? I also write a lot, obviously write for Worship Leader Magazine, and I've uh, written a book that has uh, about ready to be published. I'm writing another book that's going to, was written later, but it's going to be done before on delegating, because a lot of church people are, are struggling with learning how to delegate uh, to other people. And so uh, that's exciting to be getting that out. I've written plays, I've written all kinds of different stuff. And, and it was kind of funny because I always struggled. It felt like I struggled in English class uh, with grammar and all those things. So I'm thankful for spell check, thankful for a wife <laughs> who uh, knows some grammar. So And the AP style book, right? <laughs> That's right. That's yeah, right. I think it's interesting. You know, delegating is a problem that all businesses have. It's very difficult yeah. for someone who is either an alpha or very creative or the leader of a team Sometimes uh, teaching people how not to micromanage can be very, very valuable. I'm, uh, that's awesome that you're doing that. So you're multi-talented. I mean, and it's awesome you're doing this with your wife, too. I think you're very lucky oh, for sure. that you found someone. You know, that's – and especially during this time of COVID, you have some company. Yeah. You know? Our life in many ways has remained the same because we already homeschool our kids and because we've traveled so many years, uh, you know, have gotten used to each other's company. When we, uh, I first came off the off of the the business regular nine to five, we had a pretty major adjustment because uh, she was used to me being gone for, you know, eight ten hours a day, and I didn't really know everything that happened at home. And so all of a sudden, we were thrown into this life together, like many people are experiencing now. And you're like, you know. You love each other, but now you have to like love each other all the time and figure out how that's all going to work. So uh, it's been a big blessing. And and especially here in Nashville, I live in the Nashville area. And to meet so many musicians and creatives that have to travel for work where one of them is gone, usually like three to four, as much as four weeks out of the, the month. And they'll be home for a day or two or sometimes not even a full day before they have to go back out. And uh, so it makes us very thankful that we get to do everything as a family. So well, I think that's wonderful. You're so lucky. I'm lo- I'm I'm sleepless in San Diego. <laughs> I I do get uh, socially distant visits from my daughter and granddaughter once in a while, but basically 
Um, and this is leaving me a lot of time to work on wonderful interviews like this. You know, I'm fascinated by, and I want to tell our listeners too, we're going to get into the technology in a moment, but I'm really, you know, want to get a little bit more of the background about you so that people know who you are and what you do and why you do it. So this recent trip, where did you go on this most recent trip? Well, we go to Peru uh, and have this kind of interesting call as really tall white folks to uh, anybody that <laughs> speaks Spanish. And so we spend a lot of time and a lot of our resources trying to get down. We've been to Argentina, we've been to Peru, multiple places in Peru. And um, it's an interesting place to go. I mean, technologically speaking, because there's just not much available. So it really forces you to get creative. And uh, one thing I tell people, anything's possible with a Peruvian, because uh, there's so many times where we were going to go change a speaker or do something. We're like, oh, we don't have a ladder. And all of a sudden, somebody walks over and grabs the stack of chairs next to us and just pulls them over, climbs the stack of chairs and changes the speaker. And I'm like, well, I didn't put two and two together there at all. Because yeah. I'm thinking I, I got to have a physical ladder and it's got to meet OSHA standards or whatever. But no, you just learn how to get it done. And so um, it's been that whole part of our ministry has been an eye opener mm -hmm. and really helped us bring a lot of those things back even to the United States where sometimes we can get so focused on, we got to have the exact right product, or I need this in order to at some point be creative where the countries that don't have things just really, you know, necessity becomes the mother of all invention. So. Absolutely. It's been interesting to be able to go and, and cross-culturally minister and be ministered to and kind of, you know, have more of a worldview and understand people and, and many times be the only white guy in the room and not even speaking the language, but then developing my Spanish and, and to the point where I can speak pretty fluently and even preach. And uh, it's, it's a, just an honor to have that opportunity. I have a great love for the people of Peru that I met when I was filming there. I, I went through Lima, spent some time in Lima, and then went on to the Amazon and shot on the Amazon River and around around the Amazon and then went back to Lima. It's a very dangerous community, though. Were you worried with all the equipment you have to travel with? Or do you just, when you do these missions, do you travel with a lot of equipment or is it pretty lean and mean? We pretty much decided early on that we were going to use whatever people had. And what happens in a lot of times of ministry, especially somebody will come into town, they'll have all the latest gadgets and they'll set it up and it'll be this big deal. It'll sound amazing. It'll look amazing. And then when they leave, they take all of their stuff with them. Right. And so then the people are left, well, now I got to buy all this stuff. So for us to be able to go in, we will use whatever keyboard you have, whatever you know, soundboards you have, whatever lights you have. And we then teach the people how to use their stuff. And then when we leave, it's all set up still and they get to benefit from the time together. So that makes it really interesting because you never know what you're going to get. But uh, I believe it's been uh, certainly helpful for me because I've learned and been operating on pretty much any soundboard you can think of and have to figure it out within a very quick amount of time. But the benefit long-term, it makes us more valuable as, as a, a guest minister, I guess. It, isn't it amazing to watch people with such ingenuity? I mean, I, I was fascinated by them. And there were times when we were lighting the environment with light bulbs and lamps and, uh, you know, yep. aluminum foil to on cardboard. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing what you can do. I love that you're doing that, though, because it's it's a it's generic it's organic. And are you uh, 
teaching them how to use technology to help their worship services, or are you also teaching filmmaking in general? Yeah, we teach uh, any and all of what they're called to do. You know, some churches uh, are very technologically advanced. Others are just looking to, you know, turn something on. And so for us, you know, there's a, a technological standpoint where you need to know how to push the buttons and, and get things to do what they need to do sound-wise, especially. Mm-hmm. But then there's a leadership component as far as, you know, for us in, in the idea of leading worship, we're trying to not worship in front of people. We're trying to get other people to worship. And so you have to figure out how do you stand up in front of people? How do you present yourself? How do you get somebody who doesn't necessarily want to sing to, to sing? And so there's a whole lot of, of things that, that really play into that. And then the third piece is then the spiritual component of, you know, what is worship? Why are we worshiping? Who are we singing to? What are we expecting to happen while we're singing? And for a lot of people, they've never really given that much of a thought. They're just kind of up there doing what they've seen being done. And so once we're able to give them some teaching on all those those fronts, really, it helps people uh, move forward towards whatever they're doing. So uh, there's definitely been, you know, times where we're like, all right, well, I don't know much about this particular piece of gear, but let's jump in there and figure it out and and read the manual and look online and give it the best. And uh, so it's been an amazing journey for sure. What an adventure. I had trouble getting online when I was in Peru. I mean, this. Oh, yeah. The, oh, my goodness. Even in Lima, the connection was so slow. Just Super slow. So yeah. slow. And then of course on the Amazon we didn't have one at all. So I warned my family no. that I would be I would be completely out of range. How do you you know it was even challenging to charge any of the equipment when there's no electricity? But the people that I met And it's two twenty yeah, and yeah. Well, that, unstable power, yeah. Yeah, that that you can kind of handle, but when there's nothing to plug into. Yeah. So, and you know, and in this case, I had to carry everything I was going to use on my back. But, but I digress. This is really exciting. So there has been a push in the last, I don't know how long it's been. You know more about this than I do. In the last, what, 20 years or so to bring more and more technology into the worship experience. And some people don't like it and other people love it. I happen to love when my church has some great music and we can all just sing and and worship together and it sounds good and it looks good and then you can watch the videos afterwards and share them with your family and friends. I like that. But when did all this um, high-tech start for churches? Can you give us a little bit of background on that or am I hitting you sure, broadside yeah. with that? <laughs> no, it's, it's an interesting aspect of of church in general because you know for a lot of people who don't attend church their thought of singing or having worship in church is maybe something from when they were a kid and and they kind of imagine an older lady behind a an organ or a piano mm-hmm. and so they're surprised i've met quite a few people I'll, when i describe what we do and say you know we have a band and we play in church and they're like me and there's like a band and i'm like yeah like we have a sound system and some people have lights and then there's people that do really fancy lights that, and they have like, you know, smoke behind. And then there's a big projector, sometimes an entire wall of, of video monitors that are behind that are displaying artistic pieces that coincide with what they're singing about. And, and that's kind of a shock because, um, you know, the church has been evolving over the course of time and use of technology. And like you said, not everybody in particular agrees, but that's part of what makes the body of Christ or the church as a whole 
amazing is that we don't all have to agree. We, you know, everybody's got their own little flavor of that. But uh, part of it, I think the biggest reason why people have moved toward that is seeing some of the success of, of certain churches. Uh, Hillsong out of Australia would be one of them. Another Australian church called Planet Shakers have been very technologically forward and uh, really pushed the limits on some of those things as far as lights and screens and being really loud. And and so those churches uh, for us in America really kind of like woke us up to be like, hey, what if we explored these options? And so then you watch other uh, churches now like Elevation Church, uh, which is out on the East Coast. You've got Bethel, which is out on the West Coast and uh, you know Joel Osteen's program. You know, there's a lot of technology that are involved in those. And so when pastors and congregations see that, they're hoping to, you know, achieve a similar level of what we would maybe call success in the sense of attracting people, retaining people. And a big push of it has been to try and capture, quote unquote, the young people. Mm -hmm. And so uh, really for, you know, 10, 20 years now, that's been a major push in the church is hey, we've got this whole generation of people that we're not necessarily capturing anymore the way that we've been doing it. And so what do young people want? Let's try and and move that direction because some of those things are not theological uh, you know, arguments about whether or not it's right or wrong to have an electric guitar versus having a harp versus having an organ. It really comes down to preference. And so uh, a lot of people are like, we need to you know, basically cater to the preferences of the the upcoming generations. So that's been interesting to watch as the mainline denominational churches, like the Baptist, the Methodist, some of those congregations have been shrinking over the course of time, whereas some of the other non-denominational churches and uh, some of the charismatic churches like the Bethels have been seeing a very sharp rise in attendance. And so a lot of people are kind of trying to figure out who's doing what, how they're doing, how can I incorporate that? And then at the end of the day, they got to figure out who are we supposed to be as a congregation? And uh, not everybody agrees even within that same congregation. So it can be <laughs> a, a challenge. And that's part of what we come in and kind of give people a help with like, hey, here's some things to think about, but who are you? Who are you called to reach? And then um, give them some equipment to go do that. So when you walk into um, a church for the first time, you mentioned at one point that there's a back closet of gear that every church has. Can you explain what you meant by that when we were talking earlier? It is uncanny how every church in the United States of America and even parts of South America have this closet that where they just take all of the gear that <laughs> they bought and either don't know how to use or thought that they didn't need, and it just accumulates in this spot. and. <laughs> I'm laughing we because we have it, one too. <laughs> yeah, no, everybody does. Right now, they know where it is, and it's it's kind of like the junk drawer, maybe. But like we always called it our treasure trove because we would we would walk in and kind of take a look at everybody's system and look and see what kind of gear they have, and I'd be like, "Oh, you guys probably could use one of these." And almost without fail, I would walk back into the closet, and I'd always just ask them, "Hey, can you show me where the closet is of your stuff?" And they're like, how did you know we had a closet? Because like, oh, I, <laughs> I just know. And so uh, we'd go back there. And sure enough, the very thing that they need is laying under three or four different other things. And what I have found to be true at almost every single church is that every church has what they need. They just don't know how to use it. Mm -hmm. And so 
So that really, you know, we'll go in there and, and pull out the gear that they could use and the gear that they can't use. And we help them sell it on eBay or uh, Reverb or something like that to get or donate it to another church, you know, or, or send it on a missions trip. Some of the stuff that people have in their back closet would is, I mean, just astronomically expensive in, in South American countries. Mm-hmm. So I uh, always encourage people to to give that stuff away or, or, you know, get the resources back so you can buy the things that you do need. But, uh, you know, for us as in the Christian world, it really, so much of our technological stuff comes down to um, this place where we're hoping that we can get more stuff in order to be creative. And we're not necessarily being creative with the stuff that we have. And for us, we would call that stewardship. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when I was younger, I used to hate that word uh, because that usually meant that my pastor wasn't going to approve my purchase request <laughs> because I was always like, hey, I, we have this problem. I found this piece of gear that if we bought, it's going to fix this problem. And what I've come to realize is that those back closets are filled with all the products that were going to fix some problem. And now here they are just sitting in a closet you know, collecting dust. And so he would always say, once you learn how to use what you have, then we can look at buying something more. And I would always say, well, why don't you buy me what we need and then I'll learn to use it. But stewardship doesn't work that way. It works the other way. You got to use what you have <laughs> mm-hmm. and then you get more. And uh, I think for a lot of churches and just people in general, that's not our culture that we're kind of raised up in and certainly not the advertising and the promotional materials that we get. Or if you go to a conference, everybody's there trying to sell you something, trying to push something on you and say, hey, this is the thing that you need. But they don't necessarily have your best interest in mind. They're trying to make their sales quota or trying to find something that, you know, is going to be worth something. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, they don't make any money if you learn how to use the reverb unit that you have stashed back away. They want you to buy this new soundboard. Uh, so that, that was always a challenge for us. You know, again, I'm not a salesperson, so it made it easy for me to walk in and be like, I'm here to teach you how to use what you have and to give you guidance on if you were going to buy something, this is what you should buy. Mm-hmm. So I didn't make any more or less money, um, but it made it a lot cleaner, I guess, in the sense of purpose and, and, um, heart behind why we were there and what we were doing. Right. So, and uh, a certain amount so, of believability too, you know, trust. Well, I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, it doesn't matter to me which way you go. Yeah. I'm right. just trying to get you, get you further. Yeah. <laughs> Talk to me for a minute about, and I know this is kind of like asking you uh, how much dinner is going to cost when I don't know what you're going to order. But if you walk into a new uh, church and they, for example, the very minimum setup. What would the very minimum setup be if they want to, if they want the pastor to have a voice that you can hear and maybe there's a choir or a singer and a guitar, um, organ, whatever. What what kind of equipment would you like to see in the, the most basic situation? Yeah. I mean, some of it comes down to the setup, you know, what a mobile church, and uh, that would be somebody that uh, doesn't have a space of their own, and they're renting a space, say, at the local school or a gym somewhere, and they're hauling their stuff in and out. Right. There you go. That really changes the cost pretty significantly versus if it's a, a someplace where you can leave gear set up. And then really the question of like how technologically advanced 
are you hoping to be? Um, you know, those can really play into the the price point. I tend to be kind of on the cheaper end of stuff in the sense of um, finding the right stuff of what you need. And I, again, I tend to be like in the middle of like, I, I understand the high tech stuff, but I also know what it's like to be in South America and not have the finances to be able to buy anything. And so like, I always, always say I'm the voice of reason mm-hmm. in the middle. And so that has been helpful for Worship Leader Magazine doing tech reviews and, and again, being able to consult and say like, well, you know, you could buy this soundboard that's, uh, you know, I mean, the basic soundboard's going to cost you somewhere around a thousand to $2,000. But if you're tech, the person that's going to run this doesn't know anything about technology, then all of these extra bells and whistles of things that it could do are never going to be realized because that's just not in their wheelhouse. And, um, you know, we buy stuff on capabilities a lot because we'll say, well, this keyboard will do every sound that you'll ever need, except for you have to have like a master's degree in how to program this thing. And there's only like seven other people in the country that that even use this one anymore because they bought the next year's model or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so then the knowledge base kind of gets uh, distributed and then you just end up having all the stuff that has a lot of possibility that, that nobody uses, mm-hmm. you know, so a basic setup, you're going to have a pastor that's going to, you're going to want some sort of microphone. Usually they want some sort of lapel, which is a, the microphone that either comes around to their face or clips onto their tie. Uh, you're going to want a basic sound board sound system, uh, do you mind going to talking to us about some different models maybe that you might recommend sure. or okay sure yeah so example for the for the lapel or is it like a pile I mean obviously churches can't afford countrymen but would it be oh, like they do a, oh no. really whoa yeah countrymen's the the top dog so really? and that's because that's like that's the pastor's only expense mm-hmm. so like it, that one's for him so that tends to be the nicest. Uh, microphone is the one that the pastor uses. So right. I, partly because they're, you know, a major portion of the service and what they're saying needs to be communicated clearly, but they're mm-hmm. also the ones that write the checks. So uh, it's, it all plays in. So uh, countrymen, usually, you know, one thing for those that are buying countrymen, you need to figure out which impedance setting that they're going to be giving you because they have one for soft talkers, medium talkers, and loud talkers. And uh, most people don't know that, uh, but everywhere we go, we end up having to look and adjust for that. Um, And they usually have some sort of wireless pack as well. So it will be a wireless transmitter that would go to a receiver. Again, those are usually, you know, the nicer ones that they would have. Um, Some people like to have a handheld. I prefer to preach with a handheld. Uh, Almost always that's going to be a wireless microphone, Uh, you know, a Shure, a Sennheiser or uh, you know, some, one of those models. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then uh, soundboards, you know, right now, pretty much every church in America is buying the Behringer X32. And uh, that's just because it's an amazing soundboard and a lot of people have it. So there's a lot of knowledge base that's going to run. If you get the the big one, full one, about $2,000, you can get uh, some different versions that are smaller for around 1200. And then they actually have some that are, um, made for small setups that are are really, I like a lot. They're called the X Air series. And those can be as cheap as like $200. And you actually run it from your iPad. So you just plug it, all of your connections straight into the back. And then all of the interface is via an iPad. 
That might be good for like a mobile situation, right? Look at you, you're in Absolutely. your car. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay. I didn't know that. That's yeah. great. Okay. Not everybody's super comfortable running it from an iPad, but mm-hmm. it, it takes just a few moments to get used to, but you're saving yourself hundreds and hundreds of hours of setup time. And that's the thing about mobile church is every five minutes that you save in setting up or tearing down, compound that by 52 times a year for how many ever years you're going to be doing it. And it starts taking off, you know, sometimes literally years of your life. Uh, so getting that down to where it's compact, you roll it in in two or three segments and and it, you plug it in and go uh, is worth the cost of whatever those things would be. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so back to a basic system, you know, you're going to want to have some sort of speaker system. Some people, uh, you know, if you're a mobile church, you can get away with doing something. Uh, there's like Bose towers that they make lots of different companies make them now. Um, JBL makes a great one that where it's, it'll just be a singular tower that has like five or six different small speakers in it. And then that'll usually be connected to a subwoofer. And if you're just playing like piano and a vocal or a guitar and a vocal, uh, you don't need anything more than that. You don't need the subwoofer or low end or to push really loud. Uh, you know, if you've got a full band, you're going to have to have uh, quite a bit of of power and support behind that. And so you're mm-hmm. going to want to invest in subwoofers. And the biggest thing on speakers is whether or not it has the amp built into it or not. And so powered versus uh, passive speakers. And so, you know, if you're buying a powered subwoofer, you can expect to, to spend like $1,500 or more per speaker. Uh, and mm-hmm. even the passive ones are can be a thousand. And that's uh, a lot of a lot of energy, but live sound just takes a lot of energy to fill spaces. And the modern music style is to really put a lot of low end into a concert. So it'll be mostly kick drum, mostly bass, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then vocals on top of that. So, but some people love that and other people can't stand it. And so, uh, you know, it's always pains me when we walk into these churches that have this amazing sound system and they have those $2,000 subwoofers and I go back and check and they're unplugged. Oh my goodness. <laughs> because somebody said, turn it down, turn it down. And finally ship somebody them just over went here, would it. you? <laughs> Send them to me. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> so, uh, okay. So you've got your microphones, your lobs, your, um, if it's a stand-up mic for somebody singing, is that something like the, maybe the SM58 or something like that? Or what, what's your favorite That's, mic? yeah, def- definitely uh, the most standard microphone. Um, uh, most churches don't like having wired microphones because mm-hmm. of how it looks. And uh, it's kind of a funny thing because they'll use a wireless microphone that'll be on top of a stand that will never move the entire service, mm-hmm. but uh, it's wireless. So uh, that always cracks me up whenever I see that. Uh, but I we use SM58, sure, SM58. I mean, it just sounds amazing. And had, I mean, they're bulletproof. Like you go online and watch videos, people dumping in water and shooting them with a gun and then like plugging them in and using them. Uh, it's pretty amazing. So, And they've been around for a uh, long time. I have some I use here that I don't even know how long I've had those things. They they just go with me when I go to conventions because they're really good at, at uh, rec- recording very good sound in the middle of a noisy environment. So I love them. Yeah. They're, I have the same ones nice. that I bought when I was a teenager. So, yeah, I mean, they... They sound as good as the new ones. And, wow. and we do a lot of product testing for Worship Leader magazines. So I've, I've seen quite a few different microphones, mm-hmm. but um, th- it's pretty good. So hmm. 
Uh, some people also like the betas, 58s, and those require some phantom power, which is the board. Soundboard actually provides some additional uh, power back through the cabling, and it allows the high frequencies to come out a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's another popular one that you see. But that, that for sure, uh, those two are probably 90% of most wired microphones. And then you get into your wireless in Sennheiser and Shure and AKG uh, microphones pop up pretty frequently. But so then if you have a band, mm-hmm. that's where it gets even more complicated because then you got to have direct inputs for the a piano or keyboard. Most everybody's doing uh, some sort of digital keyboard. Uh, you know, some of our, I'm an old millennial or Gen Y kind of guy. So I'm, I'm like, bring back the regular acoustic piano, uh, but not everybody agrees yet. So we're, we're still rocking the, the keyboard, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, one thing that's changed a lot in keyboards, which is really interesting is that it, everything's going to a controller, which you actually use your laptop and a program called main stage. Uh, it's an Apple product, but basically allows you to have all of your sounds generate from your computer. And then your keyboard is just like your, the keyboard that you would plug into a, a normal computer where it doesn't actually do anything on its own unless you plug it in. And so I'm here in my studio, I'm sitting right in front of my M audio controller. And if you unplug it, there's no sounds, there's nothing like it doesn't do anything. But once you plug it into the the computer, it becomes, you know, like your piano. And so we can uh, make it sound like an organ. You can make it sound like, I mean, a synthesizer, anything that you can possibly imagine. And then you can actually buy those sounds. People make sounds. My son and I make sounds that we sell for particular songs. So if you want to sound like, you know, Hillsong or you want to sound like Carrie Job or whoever it is that you like, uh, somebody out there has made that exact sound and you can buy it and load it on your computer and away you go. So, hmm. uh, so it's pretty wild. It's changing the industry pretty significantly because, uh, you know, this controller in front of me would cost $100, $150, where uh, before, if you bought a, a keyboard that had a similar amount of sounds, you'd be in two to $3,000 range. And uh, so it, it's a big difference, but we, we like it because we're technological like that. So. So it's going, uh, the sound from the microphone is being um, sent to... The controller. Not how, how is it's that? It's not even real sound. It's not even real. It's all MIDI. So oh, when really? you push a key, when I push middle C, it it notes that it's C three and how hard you hit it, it'll tell you a number between zero and one twenty five, one twenty seven, mm-hmm. and then the computer receives that and says, oh, he hit this key at this velocity and he's holding it for this long, and it goes into its computer database and pulls this sample of some real piano or some synthesizer sound and says, oh, this is the sound that's associated with this particular key. And if you play it this hard, then you pick this one. If you play softer, it picks a different one. So those sample libraries can be hundreds of dollars sometimes by themselves and can be as much as like three to 500 gigs worth of information. Wow. And so it's, uh, it's a lot, but it, it gets some pretty amazing sounds. So... <laughs> Do you also advise people as to uh, what cameras to use if they're going to shoot video and how to set up their video? We don't do so much video. Mm-hmm. Um, we've done a few uh, web stuff. You know, a lot of people are really trying to dive into the web things of how do you get your service online? How do you have multiple cameras set up? 
um, you know, we use a program called um, OBS, which is an open source right. program. Uh, we've had a lot of luck with that. Again, it's it's free, so that makes it instantly excitable to a lot of people. But um, it you know it, it's kind of one of those things that you pay sometimes because it's more user friendly, or you have assistance from somebody where. OBS has quite a bit of an online uh, presence as far as just knowledge base of people making videos and things, mm-hmm. which have been helpful for us. And then I'm mm-hmm. technological adv- enough that I can kind of get that done. But a lot of churches are looking for a plug and play. You know, again, their volunteers aren't techie. They're just somebody who's willing to, to do it. And maybe they've been to Radio Shack once in their life, or maybe they own the latest iPhone. And so then they're like, okay, you're going to be the person to do this. So they're just looking for like, I just want to come in. I want to turn it on and I want it to work. And um, so there's kind of a, a wide range in there. Um, but that's about the the extent that I go. Otherwise, I just start dropping uh, contacts of people I know who are, who are awesome in that area. Well, I think that uh, COVID has put obviously a lot of pressure on these parishes to um – you know, these communities to maintain a presence online, and a lot of them were kind of sideswiped by oh, it and weren't really ready. No, nobody was ready. It was, it's, it's yeah. been unbelievable because it's a major change. You know, a lot of churches, maybe they do live streaming, had something that you could, could go and connect with, but it was way in the background. It was an afterthought because so much is built on the Sunday experience of, you go in, you know, there's parking, there's parking attendance most of the time. You got greeters, a whole team of greeters that are there to train and ready to help you and find your location. And, you know, so much is invested into the seats and the air conditioning and how everything looks. And all of a sudden, all of that's stripped away. And now they're looking through one lens into your service on a computer that most people didn't buy, didn't have, you know. They're just running maybe one camera in the back. And uh, it's just a different way to communicate because so much of that Sunday experience is is the room. It And I think for people who maybe don't go to church, uh, maybe don't quite grab how like just being in the, the particular place, but it'd be like going to a concert. You know, there's certain halls in across the country that are famed, you know, for some reason. Like if you went to Red Rocks in Colorado and saw a show, like every musician wants to play Red Rocks. And it's because it's this this fantastic venue. It's like this fortress of Red Rock. Uh, if you've ever get a chance to even go up there, you'll see 100 people working out and hanging out and guys like me who are getting on stage and singing a couple notes so they can say they've played Red Rocks before. But <laughs> it's Okay, I'm going to do that. It's definitely on the bucket list. <laughs> how far away? Let's see. How far away see, is that driving San Diego, San Diego to Denver? <laughs> it'll, it'll take a day or so. Uh, but, yeah. you know, like the, the Hollywood Bowl in LA, I mean, there's just like certain places, Carnegie Hall would be another one where like you walk in and there's like an, an aura to the place where you're just like, this is amazing. Um, you know, here in Nashville, it would be the Ryman. Uh, it's a big deal. And so for going into church and then all of a sudden, you know, whether or not you have stained glass or whether or not you've, there's a history there and there's a collectiveness and energy. And really as Christians, we believe that when we gather together, that the Lord is with us in a tangible way that he's not as much when we're not together. And it's not that he's not with us. It's just a different kind of with us. And so 
when you take that away and suddenly, you know, you're not able to look around and see the stained glass window anymore. You can only see what the camera's pointed at. And if that camera's in the back or slightly out of focus or, you know, the audio is not good. I mean, the whole audio experience is 99% of churches are not prepared to have broadcast audio. And so they're just picking up a board mix of what was coming through the mains. Well, now, you know, you're not in the room. You can't hear the acoustic sound of the drums or the acoustic sounds of people singing or whatever it would happen to be. And so nothing comes for free. And so you got to now put microphones on these things. You got to do all this other stuff. And, uh, you know, that's just not the mode of so many churches. So it's been quite an interesting adjustment trying to help people in this season. And then, you know, a lot of people just don't know. So then they're, they're trying to buy stuff and then trying to figure out even more than how to technologically connect with people. They're trying to figure out how do I connect through a different medium? So, you know, Mm -hmm. like if you were a a film star and all of a sudden you got to go to radio or you got to go to photos only, you know, how do you communicate in those different mediums? And And it's just different. And so, uh, you know, before a pastor, you're taught how to work the room and kind of, you know, look at different people, go from left to right. If you get nervous, look above their heads. Well, now you're preaching to a camera with a green dot on it or a red dot. Yeah. You know, that yeah. that's it. And and it's challenging. And I, you know, for lot, some of the webinars we've done and other things, you know, it's, you got to, you know, you can't wait for the the joke to land and hope that people laugh because you can't hear them laughing. So you're like, well, was it funny? Was it not funny? And it's just very revealing and very stark. So uh, it's been interesting. We hosted several online conferences dealing with this exact uh, topic uh, for Worship Leader Magazine. And it's it's not easy. I mean, the top, the top uh, professionals were there talking with us and saying, man, we're figuring this out day to day because things we thought were rock solid when we watch them on the camera, we're like, we need to work on this. So. Hmm. What do you love the most about what you do? I love it when people get it, you know, when people, we walk away and I can tell that like, they're excited about what they're doing. They've got the resources to be the next level of success. Uh, There's nothing more satisfying Mm -hmm. to me. And so it's an interesting uh, place to be in where it's like, well, I could have maybe made more fans, you know, in that environment or, or sold more records or sold more whatever. But uh, it's so rewarding to see people be successful that uh, it's worth every penny and worth all the time. Where are you going with all of this technology? How do you think it's going to change in the next five years or so? Do you have a feeling about that? or I think it's going to go a couple different ways. You know, I think a lot of uh, the technological stuff is going to progress pretty rapidly because there's everybody's been forced to adapt to it. And so churches that were resistant or and again, you, you with all technology, you got to find who you are as a as a as a people and as a group. And if you're a, a down home country church, you're, you're not going to suddenly jump into having this, you know, huge production and smoke and lights and fancy, flashy stuff. I mean, that's just not who you are. But I think in general, people are going to be way more willing to use technology. Um, Obviously, budgets are being allocated differently right now and being able to purchase some different things. And I think there's going to be a group of people who are like, we're all figuring out how to work from home and how to work remote. 
you know, I, I don't think everybody's just going to go back to nine to five driving in every, every day. I think that's going to change. And I think some people just aren't going to come to church as much, or maybe they found a, a digital home in another church. Um, so that, that's been interesting, but on the flip side of that, and what I'm kind of hoping will happen is that we've been isolated so long that we're this longing for humanity and this longing for connection, I think will drive people to church and, and really what we're hoping, what I'm hoping is that, uh, people are going to just value that time and that connection. And so that our, Mm -hmm. our meetings won't just be like, you just show up, you walk and, and watch, and then you leave, but that it will create more of a community and more of a desire, or at least an appreciation for what we would call the body of Christ or just being a, a family as believers and the church. So that's what I'm hoping. So where do we, where do we go for <laughs> um, Worship Leader Magazine? Where do we find Worship Leader Magazine? Worshipleader.com. That is like the epicenter of it all. And so we've got um, two different levels of membership. The first one's absolutely free and uh, gets you access to the mm-hmm. latest edition of the magazine. We've got thousands and thousands of articles that you can search for and find, you know, information from worship leaders all over the country. One thing that is interesting about our magazine is it's uh, contributor based. And so we've got, you know, industry people that contribute. We've got people who have 30, 40 people in their congregation who contribute. And it's literally all around the world uh, that will write in and just say, hey, this is what's working, or we'll offer some advice about something else. And, you know, we don't all agree. So one article will be pro this and the next article will be totally against it. But uh, we're just- <laughs> I love that. That's good. That's called discourse. Yeah, discussion. <laughs> it's definitely uh, eye-opening sometimes. But, uh, and then the next level of membership is Membership Plus, And that gives you access to all of our previous editions of the magazine. And then we've been doing these conferences and gatherings that have a video from some of the top worship leaders and and really the planet uh, from all over the world. And you get to watch all of those. And so that's a subscription. It's $10 a month, um, but well worth it. And uh, you get to check it out, you know, and if it, if you don't like it, cancel it early, but uh, it, it's been an amazing time of, of us coming together and just being, being the body and, and trying to help other worship leaders. And that's really the heart of worship leader magazine is, how can we help you do what you're called to do? So that's worshipleader.com. And you're also on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube as Worship Leader. And then on Facebook, it's Worship Leader Media, right? Yep. That's us. Okay. That's awesome. Well, we're going to go. We're going to check it out. This is wonderful. Thank you for everything you do. I think it's really valuable, especially in this time when people are looking for a stronger connection. And uh, I really do wish you good luck with it. And thank you for spending time with us today. So everybody go to worshipleader.com and check it out and let us know what you think. Stephen Reed of Worship Leader Magazine, thanks for your time today. Thanks for having me. And you guys remember what I tell you every time. Get up off your chairs and go do something wonderful today. This is Serena Catania with OWC Radio. I'm signing out. Have a wonderful day. Bye. Bye.